Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. This is Talk the Talk, and I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And later on in this hour, we will be speaking with Natalia Munoz about the NEPM's Latino board resignation en masse, and we also have Artbeat with Donna Belcasis. We begin the sh- this segment with Lindsay Sabadosa, the state representative from the 1st Hampshire District. So pleased that we could have you with us again this morning, as the representative is every month. I am so well, I don't know if I'm concerned because it's not going to pass the Senate, but the United States House of Representatives yesterday passed a bill prohibiting trans women athletic participation across the country, and it's deeply disturbing. I would like to have your reaction to that, Lindsay Sabadosa, and I'd like to know in particular what is Massachusetts doing to protect the rights of trans people. So help us understand. Well, first of all, good morning. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's, it's always a pleasure uh, to uh, to be on the. Is it the Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg show now, or is there a new? It is title? talk the talk. Talk the talk. All right, because people like you it. walk the walk. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning uh, with both of you. So thank you. Um, and I know we always start off our conversations on uh, on light topics. So yeah. Certainly, Congress is a great way to begin. Um, you know, I, re- I read the article uh, yesterday after the vote was taken, and certainly went through some of the amendments. And I, I think I, I have to just say I find I find it offensive on multiple levels. First of all, I am perpetually confused by what seems to be GOP obsession with genitalia in this country. It feels like there are perhaps other things they could focus on. And yet, day in, day out, that is that is all that they seem to want to discuss, um, even though there are things like perhaps the debt ceiling that might be more pressing. Could I, I, inter- could I interrupt for one second there, Representative? Yes. Because it seems to me, actually, there's an obvious answer for why the Republicans are focused on uh, trying to negate the existence of trans persons and deprive them of rights and treat them like second-class citizens. Uh, and that's because they've lost the abortion, uh, uh, the, 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 the thrust, the focus on abortion, which was, of course, their reason for existing uh, over many years. Now that the Supreme Court has said, well, there is no constitutional right to abortion, uh, they had to move on to something else, and this is what excites the base. They found so a different, a different others, right? Then I think we'll see in the next election if this is really what excites the base and what the base is. I I tend to think that most people, when they get up in the morning, are not excited about how they can exclude others from society, and I I do think that elections have shown that that is not what most people are are thinking about when they get up in the morning. I think most Americans, when they get up, are thinking about how they make ends meet during the day. I mean, I I personally am, am more concerned about the gun violence that seems to be going on in our country on a daily basis than I am about what the person next to me, how, how they might identify and what pronouns they use. I sort of use those rules we learned in nursery school. When someone tells you their name and their pronouns, you're polite and you use them. And that's really the end of the conversation. So I, I, I agree that they think that they're pandering to someone, but whether this actually plays out the way they want it to, um, that, that remains to be seen. But they, they certainly are fear-mongering in a lot of ways. And 
one of the things that was very apparent to me yesterday as I was reading the, the debate, I didn't have a chance to watch it um, because we are sort of in the throes of house budget ourselves in, in Massachusetts, but listening to it and reading it rather, it really seemed to indicate this, this is all being done to protect women, which I found highly offensive um, to say that we need to protect women and girls from trans people. We need to stop trans people from playing sports in the gender in which they identify because otherwise, what would women and girls do? And I, I find that argument to be highly offensive um, because it just, it harkens back, right, to the, the whole um, the whole argument that we, we heard post-Civil War. We have to protect women and girls, and therefore we need segregation. If we don't protect women and girls, what's going to happen? And I, I'm frustrated that hundreds of years later, we are still in a position where every bigoted thing that goes through Congress is done in the name of women and girls. And as a woman, I, I find that offensive. I'd like to note that USA Today posted just recently a piece that's titled Republicans lean into anti-trans messaging ahead of 2024, but will it mobilize voters? A question that goes unanswered in the piece. Tell us, if you would, please, Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, what has Massachusetts done? What has the legislature done? And is there more to be done to protect trans rights in Massachusetts? Well, I think that there's always more that can be done. Unfortunately, states like Massachusetts and, and other states where there is an intent to protect all people living in our states uh, are uh, playing a game of, uh, of catch-up and, and responding to what happens on the federal level. Um, we have certainly put laws in place to protect things like gender-affirming care, but there are pieces of legislation out there right now that seek to go even further um, to make sure that People are protected um, for when they provide care to patients in, in other states, when people come to Massachusetts to seek care. Um, but unfortunately, it, it feels like every day something new is thrown at us and we have to decide as a state how we can how we can best address that issue. Um, there are a few very um, minor bills that have been filed in Massachusetts that I think we could certainly say are, are anti-trans. But I, I guess... Most importantly, listeners need to recognize that a lot of the um, the base and work that's being done in Massachusetts is not being done in the state house. We are trying to be protective, but when you see the anti-trans movement, that's really happening on the ground level. So, um, for example, I'm not sure if it was in the Gazette this morning, but a, an article that came up about North Brookfield that recently revoked a permit for a drag show uh, because they decided that that was adult entertainment. And that has the same tinges of, of laws and um, sort of anti-LGBTQ legislation that we're seeing come out of states like Florida and Arkansas. Um, I think you see that happening in our libraries where people are starting to dispute uh, whether books should be on the shelves. And it, so it's not a, a widespread, um, you know, there's a big bill in Massachusetts and we're going to try to push through anti-trans legislation. That's not what's happening. But you are seeing that happen here on the ground in, in our communities. And I think that's where people need to be more aware and to, to push back and to support our libraries, support our schools and support really municipal governments in, in saying, like, you're not um, exclusionary places. So there is no uh, protection of trans, uh, trans persons bill pending in the legislature that we need to focus on at this point? 
Well, I would I would say that there's actually one coming up, um, and I believe it's Rep Higgins and Senator Comerford who are leading on it. It's around health care, though, um, so it's not around sports, but it's, it's making sure that we're protecting health care for trans individuals and going uh, further than the state has previously done. And that has a hearing coming up soon. So if folks are interested, they can certainly reach out and, and put some weight behind that. I would say that that's perhaps one of the key pieces moving forward. Um, but otherwise, really, a lot of attention is going to have to be paid in the local communities because that's where things are percolating. Yeah, interesting. From this USA Today article, let me share a couple of sentences. Quote, though anti-trans issues have exploded as a key messaging strategy for Republicans, experts in politics and gender studies told USA Today that the issue may bolster the party's culture wars more significantly than its voter base heading into the next election. I think that is interesting. They're betting on hatred prevailing, but it may not. It just may not buzz. Yeah, I was just thinking, Representative, about Erica uh, Fajinski-Stark, the uh, candidate for the East Hampton superintendency, who withdrew as a candidate after people called her comments about a competitive disadvantage that women would have if a transgender, formerly male, played on a sport, uh, sporting team. And they called that transphobic. Um, that, I think that issue is one that we can talk about. That's different than just raw, just the bathroom issue or the, you know, should trans be able to get rights issue. Um, what do you say to those people who say we should have a legitimate debate about whether that's a competitive advantage? Well, I mean, I think legitimate debate is one thing. The problem is that the legitimate debate can't happen in a vacuum right now. And when you see this being used as a rallying cry against trans people, it it, it makes it hard to have that conversation. So uh, I'll just throw out there. Um, I feel at a disadvantage that I do not get USA Today, and now Bill is reading quotes. <laughs> so read yeah. in the morning, but all right. I, I, okay, let me <laughs> confess. I'm not a subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case. Um, I, so I am a graduate of Wellesley College. I think I've, I've mentioned this before. And Wellesley has gone through a lot recently to discuss whether, um, as a women's college, which does uh, allow trans people allow it, it allows trans people to apply for admission, um, and they can be accepted. But there's a whole question now of what do we what do we do? Do we accept people who identify as non-binary right out the gate? A lot of times people apply to Wellesley um, identifying as a woman and then trans. Do we accept people who are, you know, say I'm a woman right now, but I want to transition to become a male or vice versa? And then what does that mean as a women's college? And these are debates that have really roiled the the college community in, in trying to understand, you know, what this all means and how we move forward. And there is a huge amount of tension between the administration and between the students, and it's been widely covered um, you know, by the New York Times and the Boston Globe. I would argue, really, if you want to find out what's happening, the college newspaper is the best place to go. But, you know, these are our questions and debates that have to come up. I mean, my position is the world is changing, and people are identifying as non-binary, and we need to understand that when, when kids are applying to college, and that's okay, and there's probably a, a place for non-binary individuals at a historically women's college, because that's what we will be, a historically women's college, and that's okay, because we move with the times, and if we're not respecting what young people are telling us, then uh, effectively we're, we're not going to continue to exist. And I think that same conversation is going to have to happen within sports. 
and they're not comfortable conversations because you're you're fighting with well this is how things were done and why should we have to change anything and it's just easier to exclude people it's always easier to ignore the problem um to ignore that there's there's some sort of debate and discussion but we have to we we, we just can't ignore it and i i'm proud that wellesley has moved forward and having this conversation i think they're kind of at a sticking place now but at least it's it's out there and it will continue. And when there's you know a new president, when new administrators come in, this is going to be something that the college will grapple with. The same thing will happen in the sports community. We are speaking with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. On the other side of this break, we're going to ask the representative about protection of abortion rights in Massachusetts, the Fair Share Amendment, among other topics we really want to cover today. We'll be right back. Ain't what she's living today. Really? But she never complains of the bad times or the bad things he's done. Lord. Yeah. She just talks about the good times they've had and all the good times to come. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Hanif Abdurraqib comes to Smith Tuesday, the 25th, from his lyric essay, Defiance, Ohio is the name of a band. And it is the kind of town that will hold you under its tongue until it is ready to swallow you whole. The Poetry Center of Smith College presents Hanif Abdurraqib, a reading and conversation, Tuesday, April 25th at 7 o'clock. Prolific poet and essayist Hanif Abdurraqib reads from his latest book, A Little Devil in America. Broadside Bookshop will be there with Hanif's books. Remember the joy on the kids' faces when they rode the steamer train? The beautiful wedding in the sanctuary. Eating that rapidly melting ice cream cone by the water spray park on a hot day in July. For almost 100 years, Look Park in Florence has been the scene for weddings, cookouts, concerts, and lazy days in the sun. What do you remember about Look Park? The theme of Look Park this year is I Remember When, and Look Park wants to hear your stories. Share your favorite memories throughout the season in the park and online at lookpark.org. While you're there, get your 2023 season pass, only $70 for unlimited days in the park. Consider buying a second discounted pass to donate to a family in need through Look Park's partnership with the Northampton Survival Center, or donate directly to Look Park. 100% of Look Park's operating budget comes from entry fees, grants, and donations. Look Park in 2023, looking back on decades of memories and looking forward to creating decades of new ones. Share yours today. How would you like some free money? How about $1,000? Details coming Monday morning at 8.15 on WHMP. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 101.5, 1400-WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, representative from the 1st Hampshire District. Representative, for those of our listeners who may not live in your district, could you tell us which communities are included in the 1st Hampshire District? I would be delighted. The 1st Hampshire District includes Northampton, Hotfield, West Hampton, Williamsburg, Chesterfield, Plainfield, Cummington, Goshen, and Worthington. 
let's go to the topic I had previewed before the break. I would like to know where the legislature stands and if there is more to be done with regard to protection of abortion rights here in Massachusetts, particularly given the uh, uh, proliferation of uh, anti-abortion statutes that have been filed and some have been passed in other states. The same issue really with re- that, that pervades the discussion about trans rights, which is states other than Massachusetts have passed enormous number of and, and or have pending in, before their legislatures an enormous number of anti-trans bills as well. Let's focus on abortion rights. More to be done legislatively here in Massachusetts to protect that right? Um, I would argue that the answer to that is, is definitely yes, uh, that there is more to be done. Unfortunately, even with this topic, the state is in a, a sort of wait and see and how do we respond to events beyond our control. I, I We could do a whole hour just on this topic. I, I know I certainly could. But uh, we are waiting today for the Supreme Court to let the whole country uh, know what they're going to rule on the dueling rulings that we had out of Washington State requiring the FDA to not only um, – to not change anything about the way mifepristone is um, distributed in the United States and to not impose any uh, pre-pandemic restrictions on the medication. And that is the dueling ruling with the one in Texas, uh, where the judge basically told the FDA that they have to go back, um, that they have to to, to, um, remove the medication from the market, as well as the Fifth Circuit sort of ruling on that decision, saying they have to go back to the, I believe, 2016 regulations around mifepristone. So we we have a lot of competing interests out there. In addition, we have drug companies that are now suing the FDA. Uh, lots of amicus briefs having been filed. It's it's a really confusing time. I would argue that the intent is to make things really confusing so that patients don't really know what's going on, what's legal, and if and when they can obtain care. So Massachusetts is trying to prepare the best we can for all of that. I think it's important to know, even in the worst-case scenario where the Supreme Court tells the FDA that they must um, provoke authorization of mifepristone, that does not mean abortion is, is now completely illegal and unavailable. First of all, mifepristone could, could be prescribed off-label, which means that a doctor could decide to prescribe it anyway. Um, that's often done with, with medications. Um, it will make things more complicated, but it, it can still happen. Also, abortion can be performed using only the, the second pill, misoprostol, um, which can you would take more of it, but you can still have a successful medication abortion, uh, safe and effective medication abortion with just the second pill. So there are a lot of options available to doctors and prescribers, but of course, reading the newspaper, I'm not sure that message is coming through to patients at all, which is really the, the sad and challenge piece of this. In Massachusetts, uh, the governor has uh, ordered a stockpile of mifepristone, um, which will go through UMass Amherst. I'm actually really proud of the the tiny little role um, that we played in that by passing the Medication Abortion on Public College Campus Act. It got UMass ready um, and and registered to dispense medication abortion, which has allowed it to host the stockpile. We also, in that legislation, established a fund to pay for any expenses related to medication abortion. And if you look in the House budget, there's there's money um, that will go into that fund to help offset any costs the university might incur to do this. The amount of um, mifepristone going into that stockpile 
stockpile is enough to uh, help patients in Massachusetts for at least a year, um, which at which point we're certainly hoping that any issues that may be presented resolve. But I, I think that we have to understand, and we saw this from um, the judge in Texas, that his ruling was really trying to go after not just medication abortion, but really trying to impose both the Comstock Act which prohibits mailing of anything related to do with anything to do with abortion. And it was also really trying to push this idea of fetal personhood, which is something the anti-choice movement has has been attempting to do really for decades and decades, although it often has been shoved under the rug as sort of a fringe idea. It's important for people to understand that that is what the judge was talking about when he rejected the word fetus and said, no, there's no such thing as a fetus. There's only an unborn child. Um, It's a dangerous bit of rhetoric because it would, if um, it's seized upon and um, so decided by courts and passed into law, would prohibit everything um, from contraception to IVF. It could potentially criminalize things like miscarriage. Um, This is why most doctors and and elected officials understand that there is a a difference between a a fetus and and a baby that is born. Um, Unfortunately, there are some who are trying to blur that line, but Massachusetts is taking all of the steps that we can, and we are also uh, working hard to support families uh, that want to have children. Um, And so we've, I think, in this um, this term, in the state house really tried to focus on how do we also, you know, make it easier for people um, viewing reproduction as a spectrum and not just um, in particular phases of it, which is, I think, an interesting and important way to view it. Representative Sabadosa, you mentioned the budget. We just have a few minutes left, and I would like to ask you a bit about the budget, and in particular, ask you where the fair share amendment funds stand? Are they going to be used for transportation, as we've been promised? Are they going to be used for education? And if so, how and where? Yes. So the the governor's budget, when it came out, did an almost 50-50 split between transportation and education. The House adjusted it so that it is a very fair split, 50-50. We'll see what the Senate does. Of course, nothing is is done until everything is is negotiated between the two bodies and the governor signs it. The House has set forth some very clear programs that they would like to see funded with the Fair Share Amendment. So, for example, the uh, Universal Free School Meals, that's a program that costs about $110 million a year. It's incredibly popular. Make sure our kids eat. We want that to be permanent. Um, I believe we'd be the fifth state, maybe the sixth, uh, to implement that program. And so we're trying to do that in the budget, and we are allocating fair share funds as part of that. On the transportation side, we're looking at uh, further investment in the RTAs, the electrification of RTAs as part of um, the fair share funds. So there's still a lot to be determined, and the debate hasn't happened yet, so I don't want to overpromise, but um, we have uh, very clear plans for for both of those two pots of money. Um, I'll, I'll toss in just because I know that a lot of people write and ask about it. Um, the fair share funds would also go to the C3 grants, which support early childhood education, which is, um, as we know, uh, ever more expensive and difficult to obtain in the Commonwealth. RTAs, regional transportation authorities. Are you satisfied with how this debate is going so far and whether or not the legislature is, in fact, adhering to and implementing the will of the people, of the voters who supported, by a very large majority, the fair share amendment, that is the tax on income over a million dollars a year? 
Yeah, I, I, I am happy with what I've seen so far. Again, this debate is not over, so well, I'm going to retain judgment until the very end. But I do think there was a real commitment to make sure that we were very clearly saying this is where the funds are going and this is how they're going into those two categories. I think that the base budget itself makes a lot of really critical investments. I am more and more frustrated with the federal government, quite honestly, and the way things get punted to the states. So universal free school meals being one of those programs that we're going to have to pick up. Very worried about this debt ceiling debate with uh, potential federal changes to the Medicaid program. As one amazing thing that's included in this budget that um, as someone who's a, a big supporter of single payer really, really loves, um, we are expanding eligibility for mass health to up to, it's a pilot program, so we have to see if this works, but for two years to up to 500% of the poverty level, um, it puts more people into the program, has less people trying to scramble to buy insurance on the private market. It's a huge, big deal and and hopefully something that will be really successful because if we can put more people all on the same on the same plan, it gets us on that path toward a single payer and it also makes sure that people have real coverage that they can use. We've been speaking with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. She is with us every month. We had so much more we want to ask about and we will. Next month, same time, same station, we'll continue this conversation on the budget with Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. Thank you so much for your time and representation, Representative. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The driver of a car that crashed into a home in Chicopee, killing his younger brother and seriously injuring a man inside the house, was arraigned yesterday on charges including manslaughter. According to the DA's office, on March 25th, police attempted to pull Stefan Bachman over for speeding on Broadway Street. Bachman allegedly drove away, crashing into a house on Montgomery Street. Bachman's younger brother, 13-year-old Devont Bird, was in the car at the time and died after the vehicle burst into flames following the crash. Bachman was held on $50,000 bail and is due back in court on May 19th. He's being held for at least 90 days due to an open firearms case. The Latino Advisory Board at New England Public Media is resigning en masse. In a letter to NEPM's Board of Directors, Natalia Munoz and other advisory board members say the board continues to marginalize and devalue Latino, Black, and other people normally excluded from representation. This comes after recent layoffs of nearly 20% of staff that its members say disproportionately affected people of color. 17 full and part-time employees, including the entire team of Connecting Point, were let go, according to WBUR. The advisory board is calling on the board of directors to reinstate the show and diversify the NEPM board. Volunteers will be out at Nashawanic Pond in East Hampton tomorrow for the Green for Us initiative. Members of the East Hampton High School's National Honor Society will be picking up trash, and members of Nashawanic Pond Steering Committee will be applying a preventative treatment in a number of coves around the pond to combat the occurrence of algae blooms. Nice day to finish the work week, but clouds will begin the weekend. Partly to mostly sunny today, the high in the low 70s. Clouds gradually increase tonight, an overnight low of 42 to 48. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, but also mostly dry. Just a chance for a scattered sprinkle, a high of 62 to 66. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
El presidente de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, se comprometió el lunes a aprobar una legislación para aumentar el techo de la deuda de la nación, pero solo con la condición de limitar los futuros aumentos del gasto federal al 1%, mientras criticaba al presidente Joe Biden por negarse a participar en negociaciones de recorte presupuestario para evitar una crisis de deuda. En un discurso de alto perfil en la Bolsa de Valores de Nueva York, McCarthy, el líder republicano que cumplía 100 días como vocero de la Cámara, dijo que la carga de la deuda de la nación es una bomba de relojería y que Biden está desaparecido mientras se acerca la fecha límite para elevar el límite de endeudamiento. Pero la propia capacidad de McCarthy para llevar a cabo su plan como se prometió es muy incierta. La aprobación de la Cámara podría servir como una tarjeta de presentación para presionar a Biden a negociar. Dado que el presidente sigue ocultándose, los republicanos de la Cámara tomarán medidas, prometió McCarthy. En otras informaciones, y sin citar una razón, el juez de Delaware que supervisa la demanda por difamación de 1.6 mil millones de dólares de una compañía de máquinas de votación contra Fox News, anunció el domingo por la noche que retrasaría el inicio del juicio hasta el martes. El juicio que ha atraído el interés internacional estaba programado para comenzar el lunes por la mañana con la selección del jurado y declaraciones de apertura. El caso se centra en si Fox difamó a Dominion Voting Systems al difundir afirmaciones falsas de que la compañía manipuló las elecciones presidenciales de 2020 para evitar la reelección del expresidente Donald Trump. Los registros producidos como parte de la demanda muestran que muchos de los anfitriones y ejecutivos de Fox no creyeron las acusaciones, pero las ventilaron de todos modos. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome back to our show Natalia Munoz, who is the news director of Holyoke Media. Natalia, is, we are really appreciative you could be with us this morning, and she is with us. Natalia is with us. We want our listeners to know because of the story on the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, NEPM's Latino board resigns, the subhead, Decision made in wake of media station's layoff of 17 employees. It quotes at significant length Natalia Munoz from, again, as we noted, Holyoke Media, where she is the news director. She served on this Latino board at NEPM. Why don't you tell us about your involvement with that board, what it does, and why there was a mass resignation? Natalia, you're a news director. Give us the news. Thank you. Uh, I've been on the board for about 20 years. It's been called different things along the way. And our 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 role as, as an advisory board has always been, well, here's what we think about how to create programming that will engage more Latinos. And at the very beginning, I was also, uh, Ross Piotr was then the general manager of WGBY. And I thought, why are we only focusing on Latinos? We need to focus on all these marginalized communities But as we know, funders dictate what people can go, can do. So aside from those policies that are already segregationist and racist, um, what happened at, at New England Public Media, as directed by Matt Abramowitz, is we are not, we are not arguing with him about he thinks the math just didn't add up to keep people on the payroll. Our, argument has been his behavior has been appalling just appalling in how he laid off 
these uh, just about 30 people. And I say appalling because we, you know you're going to lay off people at least a couple of months before. There's so much in the literature about NEPM. We're a community. You know, this is a family. You know, join us. And then when when things become difficult, it's like, okay, you're out. Go see whoever in personnel. There's your packet. And that was our criteria, that the leadership obviously doesn't know how to lead in times of trouble and has not been able to lead in times when money was flush. And that's why we decided to resign, because we all ended up feeling like we're check marks. That's all we are, because they didn't take us into consideration ever. And they can say they did, but the facts will show, no, they didn't. Uh, and then it becomes, you know, I've always wondered, like, why do people resign? Just stay in there, stay in the fight. Well, I really understood sometimes there's nothing to be done. You're just making life easier for them by being a check mark, so they we can write to their funders and say, and we have about, you know, 12 Latino members of our advisory committee, and we refuse to be used as pawns for that sort of thing. Two sentences from today's Daily Hampshire Gets Gazette story. NEPM created in 2019 in a 2019 merger of New England Public Radio and WGBY-TV announced last month it was laying off roughly 20% of its staff, affecting 17 full and part-time employees, including the entire team of the weekly magazine format public affairs television show Connecting Point, according to reporting by WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Again, quoting Natalia Munoz, said that she and the other nine advisory board members called on Abramowitz to reinstate Connecting Point. Is that still a demand, and do you have any hope of that? And if so, where will the money come from? Uh, I do have hope of that once um, Abramowitz is, is gone, because he sees no way to bring it back in, even as an online you know, television program, not with the whole studio, but just sort of at a very reduced cost. There is a lack of imagination going on at New England Public Media, which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money, which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist, that are sexist. And instead of looking at the example, for instance, of WTCC radio, uh, I served on their board many years ago. That's through Springfield Technical Community College. They're on just about 24 hours a day. They have Greek programming. They got they rhythm and blues. They got jazz. I mean, it's not that they have like, oh, and here's the Puerto Rican music. No, they have from Central America, or this is the black music. Yeah, but it's also Creole. It's such a rich mix of music and people having their talk shows. And people have been doing this as a volunteer for about 60 years. And I feel that that's where there was a lack of imagination of, okay, we don't have the money, but what can we do to make, to recreate this? We have all these antennas, we have all these sister stations. And the first thing that occurred to the management was to act like any other for profit business, which is we're just going to lay everybody off and not give them a chance to look for other work, not to not, you know, not to say, oh, well, listen, I, I really appreciate the work you've been doing all these years and you're, you know, nothing. It was just they were treated like any employee. Nobody likes to be laid off. 
but it's worse when you're laid off and you're treated like you know a garbage bag as we say in Puerto Rico it's like oh let's throw everybody out um, so yes the answer is they will not reinstate connecting point while their leadership does not have imagination to figure out how to do it. This is Buzz Natani Munoz. I, I want to ask you about the board. Policy comes from the board of directors. And um, while you've been talking about President Abramovitz, uh, what about diversity on the board and the policies that it sets for management? Well, the board doesn't really set policy. I know that that's the traditional they are they do have a, a fiduciary responsibility for sure but really the leadership has always come from the general manager or the president or whichever title they want to bestow upon themselves and it's not a diverse board and when i knew people of color who were on the board they were marginalized all the time their voices were not heard and when i say not heard it's not that people you know, sometimes people feel like, oh, I wasn't heard because the person didn't agree with me. No, no, no. Literally, you can have your hand up. You're not going to be called on. Uh, you have an idea. It's not even going to be discussed for, you know, 30 seconds. Um, it, it, it was not, they don't have a culture of diversity. They have a culture of appealing to wealthy white people. They do not have a culture or policies that really gather the energy of marginalized people, whoever they may be, white people, LGBT, you know, LGT, I should say. I don't put the Bs anymore. But that's a whole other story, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. How long was this decision to resign? En mas, uh, the board, the advisory board, the Latino advisory board re resigned. I think every member resigned. And yeah. I, I, how long was that percolating for, and was there an opportunity for uh, Matt Abramowitz, uh, the president of uh, NEPM, to uh, have a discussion with you and say, here's why he would obviously wish you wouldn't do that? Or did you just, uh, was this a fait accompli and you told uh, Matt Abramowitz that we're leaving, we're done? We heard that uh, Matt Abramowitz did not want to speak to us as a board, that he'd that basically he would speak with co-chairs of the community advisory board, but not with the group. Uh, for the group, we would be sent to Vanessa, Vanessa Cirillo, who was, among other things, a marketing and outreach manager. There was, his attitude was, I'm done. I'm not gonna say anything else. Um, he did respond to our letter because we needed confirmation that the letter had been sent to the board and, and we'll send it to other places also. The, that oversee broadcasting. But um, our decision to resign came quite quickly. We had about a week of shock. We had about a week of what, what in the world just happened here. And then we had a couple of meetings and some were well, we should stay to, you know, because it's better. But in the end, we all realized, no, we're gonna be told what we've always been told. This really hurts us. We wish we didn't have to do it. You're so important to us. And it just felt, no, let's not be condescended to. Let's let's go do our laundry instead. Let's do other things. This is just ridiculous, spending time with these people. We've been speaking with Natalia Munoz. She is the news director of Holyoke Media, and she was a long time, I think the longest serving member of NEPM's Latino Advisory Board, which has now resigned. I, Everyone has resigned. I would like to note that uh, 
really appreciate Natalia coming on the show today. Uh, we picked up the story from the Daily Hampshire Gazette, and I did not have the opportunity to offer Matt Abramowitz uh, a chance to come on the show, but I will. So we should note that. A final word from you, Natalia. We're going to run. Bill, thank you so much. Thank you. It's so great to see all of you. Yeah, Buzz. See you later. Dan. I miss everybody. having your voice on this radio, Natalia. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for the invitation. Love to all. Let's have more of her later. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Teenagers are using prescription drugs to get high. One in four say they do, and it's too often leading to heroin addiction. The number one factor for starting heroin use is past recreational use of prescription drugs. Preventing young people and others from starting down this path, this heartbreaking path to addiction, is so simple. Get these drugs out of your medicine cabinet, keep them out of reach and out of the environment. This is District Attorney Dave Sullivan. This Saturday is Drug Take Back Day. It's happening across the country and locally at over a dozen locations in Western Mass. Drop off prescription drugs, no questions asked. Don't flush them, don't toss them in the trash. Bring them to one of the drop-off locations. Prescription drugs lingering in medicine cabinets leads to heroin use. It's a simple fact. So please, if there are meds hanging around in your house, get rid of them safely this Saturday from 10 to 2. Find a drop-off location near you at the Northwestern District Attorney website. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. For 50 years, the Center for Women and Community has provided trauma-informed leadership and advocacy services, including 24-hour free and confidential support for survivors and their loved ones throughout Hampshire County. April is National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. CWC is here for you. If you've been impacted by violence, call the Sexual Assault Support and Advocacy Hotline for information, support, and resources. Learn about volunteer and professional staff opportunities at umass.edu slash CWC. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. And this is our weekly segment, Artbeat, with Donna Bell Cassis, who has with her and us today a very special guest. The pleasure of the introduction, Donna Bell, and the microphone, it's all yours. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Good morning. Not this weekend, but the next weekend, the Asparagus Valley Pottery Trail is hosting their 19th annual student studio tour 
both as an online sale and an in-person event on April 29th and 30th from 10 to 5. Artist Tiffany Hilton, one of the potters who's on this trail, joins us today. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Donabelle. Anytime. Wow. 19 years. This is a well-established event. I've always loved the name of the tour. Tell us about it, please. Sure. Well, I think, you know, back in the 70s, the Hadley grass, the asparagus valley, that was a nickname for this region. And a pottery guild started in the mid-70s. And they called themselves the Asparagus Valley Potters Guild. And this event grew out of that group in 2005. Um, and it has morphed ever since there the past 19 years. But I had moved to the valley in 2005 and bought a house up in Greenfield and was lucky enough to join in this group on its second year. So I've been part of it for 18 of its years. Oh my gosh, wow. I mean, this year, I see that there are 27 artists in eight studio locations. Can you tell us about some of them uh, and where they're located? Yeah, so getting guest artists every year just helps us all keep fresh and excited and, and helps us kind of grow the event without geographically growing the event. So we want the tour to be doable in a day or two and keeping it to about eight stops is it's manageable to get to see all of the stops in a day, or some people make a whole weekend of it and get a hotel or Airbnb and they, they stay for the weekend. Um, but some of our guests are coming from um, Maine and North Carolina and Connecticut and Ohio. Um, we have one from Florida, North Carolina, Minnesota. Like this event has grown in, become so established that it's really quite an honor to kind of share the success of it with our community and and invite new people to experience it. Now what I love this year is actually the Pottery Trail, the Asparagus Valley Pottery Trail launched an early career fellowship for BIPOC ceramic artists. Tell us about that. Sure, yeah. Last year we were, we were really trying to be part of the conversation and and find a way to support younger artists in, in, in the whole United States that could kind of participate in this event and share our platform. And um, we feel like it's quite an honor to have built this event up where we, we really feel confident that we're sharing a you know, great experience with, with people we invite to join us. So, you know, addressing the lack of diversity in our own group as, as host potters, we, we really wanted to find a way to kind of reach out to the community at large and and invite people to be a part of the success and and help us kind of give them a a, a leg up in a way to, to kind of meet our community our successful community our friends and customers who have been supporting us for almost two decades mm -hmm. um, and give them some exposure in maybe their own neighborhood or a new neighborhood um, but we just feel excited to kind of share it. And, and now you've given two of these fellowships, correct? Yeah, yeah, so get, how does that work? Well, we just had such a great response to the call for artists that um, we felt like we wanted to offer two. And so we're offering them a, like a free booth fee 
for the show and also any transportation to get to the show. Um, nice. And just have it be free exposure for them and to, you know, we're just looking forward to meeting them. And, and the weekend isn't, it's, you know, it's all about pots, but it's about people too. And we have, we have our own little big party Saturday night to, <laughs> to have a potluck with all the, the guest artists and the host artists. So. Is there a particular order in which you suggest people go to these various potters and see their work and hopefully buy some work of their work as well? Uh, or is it pick pick and go where you wish, when you wish? Thanks, Bill. Yeah, um, well, it depends on kind of where people are starting from because it's just geographically you can start at any studio and and start your route from there. So there's a cluster of three artists in the Florence Northampton area and then one in Hadley. Um, and then up in the northern section, there's three in Shelburne Falls and one in Greenfield. So depending if you're, you know, coming out Route 2 or coming up the Pike or 91, you can pick where you start. But um, as a group, sometimes every few years, we do this tour as, as a group ourselves. We all pile in minivans and, and go on Friday to everyone's studios. Um, and it's it's fun to like start the furthest way away and then like get back to where you want to get back closer to home. Um, but whenever they stop at the first studio they get to, there's a Pottery Trail passport. It's literally a little passport that you get stamped at every studio. And if oh my gosh, I love that idea. I love that idea. Um, we raffle off 27 prizes with 27 cups from all 27 artists. So you have 27 chances to win if you're one of the people who go to all eight studios. And that, and you can do that over one day or two days and turn that finished passport in at your last stop. And this starts when and it goes to when? Sure, yeah. So the in-person event is Saturday and Sunday, April 29th and 30th. And it's 10 to five both days. Oh my and, gosh, but there's another way to participate, which yeah. so for on, those who can't make it, right? Yeah. In 2020, we were pushed online and that we had a great response to that. So people who live in California and want to come to the Pottery Trail can um, log in at noon Eastern time on Friday, April 28th and see work from all the artists. So our shops will all go live online and all those links are on our website at apotterytrail.com apotterytrail.com yeah. or as yes. we like to do on radio apotterytrail.com and what was that address <laughs> oh apotterytrail.com got it <laughs> a is for asparagus right yes 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 well actually tiffany just give us a sample of some of the things that people will be able to purchase at these yeah. studios and actually experience as well yeah so it's a mostly functional pottery so you could pick out your new favorite mug um and Every artist is using clay and glazes, but you will see, you know, 27 different ways that those artists use clay and glazes. And so, um, you know, people can come out on this trail and ask a lot of questions and say, how the heck did you make this? And what is this surface? And um, they can also just be a pottery collector who already knows a lot about <laughs> clay and glazes mm -hmm. and pick out their favorite pieces. Um, mm -hmm. So they can buy gifts for their home, their garden, for wedding mm. gifts, for... Um, I see that there's like wheel thrown work, there's hand-built ceramics, things for tabletop, and like you said, garden, home. It's They're just gorgeous pieces to look at, but I love the functionality of it because why not use it every day, have this art in your hands, 
and or on your table and just look and use it because that's what it's for. Yeah, and I think in the Valley that the, the whole buy local campaign um, that started with CISA is really part of the culture here. And um, it's really nice to have a human connection to the things we live with and the objects we use. And I think people in the Valley really appreciate that. And I can't walk down the street without somebody waving at me and saying, I used your mug this morning. And <laughs> I love that too. I mean, I, I do that for the same reason. So if you want to go to the Asparagus Valley Pottery Trail, it goes live online on the 28th of April, but you can go in person, spend the weekend uh, in the Valley, April 29th and 30th from 10 to 5. Is there a map you can download online, Tiffany? There is a map on our website at apotterytrail.com. And, um, That's apotterytrail.com. <laughs> you know, stu my studio is in a big old mill building, but other studios are in people's old barns. They're in their beautiful homes. They're in storefronts on Main Street and Shelburne Falls. It's just such a fun way to peek into the lives of our, our community of potters. Tiffany Hilton, thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck on this pottery trail. I know people will be so excited to go. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Donna Bell. Really appreciate it. Thank you for bringing out such brilliant artists and so wonderful to hear about this community of potters. Really just fabulous. Thank you so both so very much. Thank you. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. Caring for someone with cancer is hard. You're so busy taking care of someone else, you have no idea how you feel. There's so much you can't say. You run on adrenaline. You're worried you're going to burn out. Cancer Connection offers support groups just for caregivers, exercise classes to blow off steam, even Reiki. It's all free. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. We begin in Florida, where young people plan to make a statement today. Correspondent Jim Crisula has our top story. Hundreds of high school and college students across Florida plan to walk out of classes today over what they see as state government censorship and anti-LGBTQ policies. It's a defiance of the state's crackdown on lessons dealing with race and black history, as well as new laws affecting LGBTQ students. The power always resides with the people, and is going to be this generation 
who is going to right the wrongs that have been happening in our state. Nikki Freed is chairwoman of the Florida Democratic Party. This week, Governor DeSantis defended his policies toward what he feels are inappropriate subjects. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. We should hear from the Supreme Court on access to an abortion pill before the day is out. Justices have set a self-imposed midnight deadline to decide whether a federal judge in Texas had the legal right to impose restrictions on access to mifepristone nationwide. A House Republican in Tennessee who voted to expel three fellow lawmakers over a gun protest has resigned after he was found guilty of sexually harassing an intern. It came hours after Congressman Scotty Campbell was confronted by W. WTVF reporter Phil Williams. You uh, asked her about how many men she had slept with and then asked about how many women she had slept with? No. So, so you're saying she just she's just making all of this up? I'm saying that we had a consensual adult conversation. Texans are dealing with the remains of a powerful storm system that killed at least three people in Oklahoma. Brandon Brammer had to climb out of his car window when heavy rain flooded the streets of Austin. It started off um, as a um, just normal side on the curb kind of water and then basically you just got deeper and deeper and it was just like a pool basically. A tornado spotted in Tyler, Texas. Attorneys general from 18 states asking the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration for a recall on Hyundais and Kias manufactured between 2011 and 2022 because they don't have anti-theft devices. California AG Rob Bonta. When these cars are stolen, they have led to injuries, they've led to death, they've led to other crimes being committed using those vehicles. He says almost all other new cars do come with anti-theft features. Not all celebrities have had their Twitter check marks erased. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Elon Musk's reportedly kicking in the eight bucks a month so William Shatner, Stephen King, and LeBron James can have them. Others, including Beyonce and Elmo, opted out. This is CBS News. Streamline how you hire with Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Guys, fellas, men, are you Roman ready for the weekend? Right now, generic Viagra, a.k.a. Sildenafil, is just $4 per dose at Roman. Just complete a free online visit with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional. If medication is appropriate, Roman sends what you need in discreet packaging with two-day shipping. Generic Viagra from $4 at Roman. Go to roco slash bed. Do it today and get 20% off your entire first order. That's ro.co slash bed. As a roofer, I'm always on the go. So I need to be able to get things done from anywhere. That's why I partner with Beacon. With the new Beacon Pro Plus app, I've got the brands I depend on, like GAF, right at my fingertips. It's like having my Beacon rep in my pocket 24-7. I rely on Beacon because I never stop building, and neither do they. Now through June, purchase through Beacon Pro Plus and earn up to $1,500. Beacon. All For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The driver of a car that crashed into a home in Chicopee, killing his younger brother and seriously injuring a man inside the house, was arraigned yesterday on charges including manslaughter. According to the DA's office, on March 25th, police attempted to pull Stefan Bachman over for speeding on Broadway Street. Bachman allegedly drove away, crashing into a house on Montgomery Street. Bachman's younger brother, 13-year-old Devont Bird, was in the car at the time and died after the vehicle burst into flames following the crash. 
Bachman was held on $50,000 bail and is due back in court on May 19th. He's being held for at least 90 days due to an open firearms case. The Latino Advisory Board at New England Public Media is resigning en masse. In a letter to NEPM's Board of Directors, Natalia Munoz and other advisory board members say the board continues to marginalize and devalue Latino, Black, and other people normally excluded from representation. This comes after recent layoffs of nearly 20% of staff that its members say disproportionately affected people of color. 17 full and part-time employees, including the entire team of Connecting Point, were let go, according to WBUR. The advisory board is calling on the board of directors to reinstate the show and diversify the NEPM board. Volunteers will be out at Nashawanic Pond in East Hampton tomorrow for the Green for Us initiative. Members of the East Hampton High School's National Honor Society will be picking up trash, and members of Nashawanic Pond Steering Committee will be applying a preventative treatment in a number of coves around the pond to combat the occurrence of algae blooms. Nice day to finish the work week, but clouds will begin the weekend. Partly to mostly sunny today, the high in the low 70s. Clouds gradually increase tonight, an overnight low of 42 to 48. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, but also mostly dry. Just a chance for a scattered sprinkle, a high of 62 to 66. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. Bill, we have a busy hour uh, ahead of us. We're going to be talking about the prescription drug take-back day in just a couple of moments. Uh, Natalia Munoz is going to come and talk more about that mass resignation of New England Public Media's Latino Advisory Board. We're going to have uh, Clay Pearson from the Hampshire Pride uh, organization is going to talk about the resumption of pride. And uh, Maya Van Russum is going to talk about this, uh, these green amendments to state constitutions, um, how to make green part of a constitutional fabric of a state. But let's start with the DA's uh, Northwestern District Attorney's coordinator for the Triad Program and the Elder Abuse Program, Rachel Senecal, who is here in studio. Thank you for joining us, Rachel. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So uh, the prescription drug take back day, um, it's upcoming. Uh, so when did that start? And tell us when it's going to be and tell us why we do it. Sure. So the program is going to be this Saturday, April 22nd, uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And in a nutshell, it is a way for community members to safely and at no cost dispose of any prescription or non-prescription medication that they may have sort of sitting around the house in their cabinets. Um, we began this program in 2011, so it's been, it's been going strong since then, and we have collected about 65,500 pounds since the program started. Which wow. if you think about, you know, how tiny a pill is and, you know, how much a pill bottle weighs, we're talking about a lot of medication. That's a lot of overprescription, I think. Yep. Sounds like it to me. So, okay. Why should people do this? What is the problem? Please. So really the goal behind the program was to decrease and prevent misuse of medication, whether that's intentional or non-intentional. Um, it... I, I don't think there's a single person in our community that has not been affected by addiction, whether it's their own addiction and substance abuse struggle or s of a friend or family member. Um, and it's really not uncommon for those folks to report that their addiction began 
when they went into the cabinets of their friends and family members and found prescription medication, especially young people. So this is really a, a, a way to sort of nip it in the bud, you know, basically prevent addiction before it even starts. Why shouldn't people just throw, flush it down the toilet or throw it in their trash? You hear that a lot. They say, you know, mix it with coffee grounds. So, and while that does prevent human consumption, now we have some very potent, you know, possibly very dangerous chemicals floating in our water system, in our garbage system. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I don't want that in my, my water system. So, uh, the medication that is collected is incinerated and uh, filtered. So it's really the most environmentally sound way of disposing of this medication. And before we go any uh, further, Rachel Senegal, this is going to be tomorrow? Tomorrow, yep. And the hours are? 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So where can people drop these things off? So we have 15 drop sites throughout Hampshire and Franklin County. We have 10 in Hampshire County, 5 in Franklin. Uh, in Northampton, we're going to be at Smith Volk uh, School. And it's going to be outside. So they, we do have permanent drug, drug boxes in a lot of the police departments around the county. However, this is a way for folks who may not be willing or may be uncomfortable going into a police department to dispose of medications. Well, I have to tell you, I have been in the criminal justice system as a defense lawyer for decades and decades. And when I walked having driven downtown with the bag loads of drugs. To uh, the police department. Nar narcotics, because my mother had passed and we had to do something with the drugs she had at the end of her life. Um, it did not feel comfortable. <clears throat> it just, I mean, there I am with a whole bunch of drugs. <clears throat> that sounded, that felt kind of wrong. This obviates that issue. Tell us how. It does. So, you know, Folks can bring any amount of medication. You know, it's it's not uncommon for people to show up and say, I had a loved one pass away, and I don't know, I didn't know what to do with all this medication. So this drop site, especially in Northampton, is going to be outside. There are no questions asked. People will not ask for, you know, a prescription. They're not checking bottles. They're not picking through, seeing what you brought. It's completely anonymous. They're not taking your picture. They're not taking They're your not name. They're not taking pictures. No one's taking nope. photographs. None of that. Okay. So you come with a, a bag or a, a box of, of medication that you want to dispose of, and what do you do? So there's going to be paper boxes, uh, cardboard boxes set up, and you just throw it in the box and be on your way. You don't even have to get out of your car if you don't want to. So triad coordinator for the DA's office, Rachel Senecal. It Could we stop there for a second? Sure. Triad? Triad, yes. That's uh, an unfamiliar term to a lot of people. So triad is a community policing initiative that seeks to increase the safety of seniors living in our community. Um, and we have triad meetings all throughout Hampshire and Franklin County. And this is a big initiative for us because, generally speaking, older adults do get prescribed more medication. So they're sort of stockpiling these, these medications that, and they don't really tell you where, how to get rid of it when you get prescribed a prescription. So uh, this is a way for folks to clear out those cabinets. So, Rachel, let's talk about that. And, Bill, let's talk about that. Back when we first started hearing about the opioid crisis, we got a name for this phenomenon we'd been living with for so long. Um, the question became, why are medications, legitimate medications, prescribed in such numbers? Why is it so big? And people blamed pharma for wanting to oversell their products and, and reap 
profits. Have has there been any improvement in that regard that doctors don't over prescribe? I mean, I I can't necessarily speak to that, but I can say that there is so much more awareness about over prescribing medications that um, I'd like to think that you know there's been a cutback in that. <laughs> yeah, I also think it's important to note that. Not all of the drugs that are being returned to these drop boxes are because of overprescription. Someone passed. They had a weeks or months of prescription. It's, it was le- totally legitimate and responsible to give them the drugs at the time. But then something has to happen with them after they're no longer needed or c- could be used by the person for whom they were prescribed. Mm-hmm. But but I had a knee surgery, and um, I was prescribed Percocet. It just doesn't. We don't get along very well. It makes me stupid. And uh, the extent to which Oh, the desire to quip on that. It was just (laughs) overwhelming. (laughs) Okay, please go on, Buzz. No, I can't. I'm too stupid. No, but but the truth is I I just didn't like it, so I specifically said, just send me home with three or four of them. And I still got 24 of them. Just a very heavy medication, an opioid medication. And I was astonished that despite my specific request otherwise, I... I just don't get that. Mm. I, I agree. I had a family member who was trying to monitor his blood pressure, and he w- they were sending him home with a new medication every week, and they said, try this, and if it doesn't work, we'll try again. But he ended up with 10 bottles of medication that he didn't need. But I'm pointing I'm not I, I in no way defending uh, Big Pharma and the overprescription, particularly of opioids, which was horrifying. And what the Sackler family did to destroy huge chunks of America is just something is reprehensible. That said, I'm trying to point out that much prescri- uh, prescription drugs are is a matter of art as well as science. And you, a, a doctor will prescribe a drug, and if it doesn't work, they'll prescribe another drug. And if it doesn't work, they'll prescribe another drug because you never know how an individual, doctors don't know how individuals are going to react to different drugs. And then the problem is, what do you do with those extra pills because you can't return them to the pharmacy? What a great segue to our ending. So, Rachel, what should people do with their extra drugs? They should turn them in at their nearest drug take-back uh, location. And people can find them at our, on our website at northwesternda.org or they can call their local police departments to find out if they are um, participating. And I just want to say, Bill, as a member of the criminal justice system, it is really reassuring that both sheriff's office in two counties, our Northwestern District Attorney's Office and police departments throughout our two counties are all participating in the prevention of not just crime, but of harm. It's an important thing to do tomorrow between the hours of... 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And how can people find out one more time about the locations? They can go to northwesternda.org or contact their local police department. Rachel Senecal, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Everybody, please get rid of those extra medications by taking part in the Take Back Day tomorrow. We'll be right back. Just the name of the the bottle which determines if it will. Is the problem you're allergic to a well-familiar name? Do you have a problem with this one if the results are the same? Let's see the medicine. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. At Greenfield Cooperative Bank, it pays to get pre-approved. If you're looking to buy a home, right now is the perfect time to save up to $1,250 on your mortgage closing costs. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to walk you through the process so you can get in your new home as quickly and as easily as possible. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by September 30th be a new first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the This week, Shop Tuesday is Slancha. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Slancha releases gift certificates for their restaurant in Holyoke. High up on Jarvis Avenue with a view of Holyoke and beyond, good food and drink, lunch and dinner daily. Plus, a private upstairs party room with a bar. They say it on the old sod and they say it in Holyoke. Slancha. Available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And welcome back to the show. We have been focused on uh, the front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette today um, and in the Republican earlier, I think last week, New England Public Media's Latino Advisory Board has resigned en masse over recent layoffs that its members say disproportionately affected people of color. And with us to talk about it is the news director for Holyoke Media and frequent contributor and host here at WHMP, Natalia Munoz. Hello, Natalia. Hi, Buzz. I, I, I think us. I need to clarify. It's not, it, we resigned not because the layoffs, you know, there was about a third of the la- people who were laid off were people of color. It, it was that, and it was also in the manner in which everybody was laid off. Let's talk Just about a, that. A shocking way that a station that sells itself as community oriented, the, the, I keep saying the appalling way it treated, you know, good people, people who deserve dignity. And I understand that math doesn't give you a lot of elbow room sometimes when it comes to a budget, but math should never get in the way of people showing respect, of people respecting other people's dignity. And that was what was also shocking to us. It was just the manner, oh my God, he just, you know, all of a sudden did this, having known he was going to do it, Matt Abramowitz, that's the head of New England Public Media. And just, I think, a couple of months before, I I, I received a couple of invitations to take a tour of their new facilities at the former WGBY television station. And so that's why we also wrote in our letter, well, that was cynical. 
show us your new facilities knowing that pretty soon a bunch of people who work there and who have been worked there for a long time, who have been pioneers, they're going to be out on the street. That is not the way you treat people. And uh, that's, that is what really set us on fire, the, the lack of respect to people, people of color, Anglos, anybody. That's not the way to do it. Well, tell us a bit more about that, if you would, please, Natalia Munoz. How were, okay. how were people uh, uh, given their layoff notices? Was there a, a payment for uh, a leave of some sort? Were there, uh, uh, was there money involved to help re, uh, reduce the pain or not? What, what, what was the story on that? Uh, I don't know in detail. I'm assuming, of course, there was uh, severance packages. I, they, I feel like those are private matters that I don't ask people about. Um, I don't think that I understand how money can help, you know, just like, okay, this, this money will help pay the bills that are coming up in a month or two. And that is certainly very important. But if you're going to come to a, a station and say, you're all, you're a people person as he did. And I remember the first newsletter email blast that we received when he hired Monty, it was just a picture of him and Monty. And it was like, where's Cali? You know, it's just this, oh, white people are dominating again. This, this, this young man does, he may be a people person, but he's not a people person for a region like ours, which that, has a lot of activists from the communities of color. The young man being the President Abramovich of New England Public Media. Yeah, I just, I forgot his name for a second, and I just know that. Did he, did he flag... He's gonna he, he he's gonna like the young man part. <laughs> <laughs> he may not like the rest of this, but he's gonna like that. And we should note we should note that um, we did not have the opportunity. I did not have the opportunity uh, today to invite uh, Matt Abramowitz to come on our show to discuss this situation uh, and what has happened. Uh, but I will extend that invitation. Now, what did he tell the uh, Latino Advisory Board? Uh, and, and when did he do that? Nothing. Not at all. Nothing, Bob. That's the thing. We found out the way everybody else found out in the, in the papers. And then if the, one of the, one of our members, Hashima, who's in India, Hashima Moja got in touch with me and said, what, what, what do you think we should do? I said, well, I don't know. Should we protest in front of them? Should we write a letter? And then we went to just write a letter. And in that process, that was like a two week process where we debated, should we resign or should we stay? And then we ended up saying, let's just go. We've been here forever, for years, for decades. And obviously the board as a whole and Matt Abramowitz individually do not care about what we think. We're also members of the community advisory board. So, the Latino Advisory Board is a subset of the Community Advisory Board. So they just lost a big chunk of their Community Advisory Board also, which yeah. includes other people of color who have also been figuring out what are they going to do in, in light of what happened, the and way had, these layoffs happen. Hmm. You had said to us, Natalia Munoz, that you didn't want it to just be a box that gets checked. What did you mean by that? I mean that as a Puerto Rican... I've been called to be on boards lots of times and I've served on a lot of boards. And it turns out 
for most of them, I would say I was a check mark. I was the one, oh, we have a Latina on board, but we don't really need to pay attention. There are some boards where, of course, I am respected the way everybody else is respected. But for people of color, for people from the, uh, the GT community, we know, we've experienced that we get asked sometimes to be on these boards as a way of an organization saying, look how diverse we are. Look at our DEI, I don't even know what it means, DEIB. Diversity, equity, inclusion. We say in Puerto Rico, so many acronyms. What <laughs> are the policies? What are the policies to this day? Most organizations do not honor the high holy days of the Jewish community. Why not? Why is this the Christians? What, what happened to the Muslims? They don't have holidays. They don't have time that they need to take off. And for a lot of time, for a lot of times, if the policies are, oh, if someone dies, you get three days off for bereavement, maybe four. And it's just like, what kind of lack of cultural competence is that? Who said that? There's no such thing as grieving in four days. What if we have to travel to our home country or to the other side of this country? What if it just it just undoes us? You know, there is this, there are these policies that lead to people being treated as if they were not people that deserve dignity. And that's what happened. When policies say, you know, whatever, then when people are going to lose their jobs, then it's also whatever, they're going to lose their jobs and then we're going to save a bunch of money. And Boston will be, you know, WHDH will be very happy because Boston is the, is the, you know, the, the head of the Game of Thrones here. The physical reality of uh, NEPM is something that I, I, I swear I would really like to have uh, Matt Abramowitz come and explain that to us. But the fiscal reality, as has been explained in the newspapers and other media, is that there was a huge deficit at NEPM. We're talking about millions of dollars a year, which obviously could not continue. It seems to me that it's clear that something had to be done in terms of the financial picture in order for NEPM to continue. That said, what gets cut and why is a matter of great importance, and in doing that, Someone's going to be hurt. Some programming is going to go, I think. Um, maybe not, but obviously that was the decision that was made. And it does seem to me that the lack of communication here as to why and what the options were and what was rejected and what was accepted and what, what the future plans might be in that regard, seems to me that communication would have been essential. And I think you're saying, I'm not trying to uh, paraphrase or have you say something you don't want to, but it seems to me that the lack of communication here was substantial and very, very upsetting and, and really uh, problematic. Yeah, it was thoughtless. And you're right. The, the budget, you just can't argue when you've lost a big chunk of your money. But then is no one was told, hey, listen, we tried to get a line of credit from X bank. We tried to get emergency funding from over here. We did everything we could so we wouldn't have to lay you off. Or we have to lay off, you know, 10 people. And these are the positions we'd have to lay off. These are the people. And I'm going to talk with you individually. And I'm going to write recommendation letters for you. I'm going to help you transition to whatever it is, however it is that you need us to help you. There was none of that. So even if, even if Matt Abramovich says, well, we tried to get money from wherever, a line of credit from wherever, 
well, we don't know that because that has not been communicated to us. And like that, it's been that lack of information. And so that's really all we're talking about is kindness, really. That's the bottom line. Are you going to be kind? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, they're going to be kind to people, give them a lot of money. And if you saw the, the, the way they spent money on the first building in Springfield, and then, <laughs> oh, yeah, wow, the, the desks, the chairs, everything was, it just blew my mind. I felt, I felt bad for the people who had contributed. It's like, wow. You all now own a little piece of all this expensive furniture. Mm -hmm. Dan Torres, you have a question for Natalia. Well, I didn't have a question, but I wanted Natalia. If, I, if I'm understanding everything you're saying correctly, maybe the way they could have approached this is internal transparency about the process and then finding a way to continue this program by creating strategic relationships with public access centers or some other sort of venue to say, hey, this program that we had on that really was about the community, we want it to continue and we're going to try to find a way. And yes, some of you might lose jobs and yes, we will lose this, but maybe there's an alternative way. And if you don't spend that time to do that, then it's easy to just say, hey, we're just going to lay people off because we don't want this show and, and because it doesn't wanna... cater to our donors. That's uh, what I'm hearing. I don't know, Natalia, if you want to correct me. Oh, and Dan, I... you said it perfectly. Dan, you summed it up perfectly. Perfectly. And I just want to point out, Natalia, we're not talking about some super secret private organization here. We're talking about New England public media. It, the buy-in of the community is so important. And... If you have to make difficult decisions like that, we understand sometimes in the real world that's what has to happen, but you try to get buy-in, especially from the advisory boards that you're relying on to be liaisoning to the community that you serve. Right. We're, the, we're, the, we're supposed to be the credibility people. It's like, Lily Villas, look who's here. And it's just like, I'm not putting my name on the line for them. And that's what we all decided. No, you cannot use our names or our reputations to pretend like, yeah, we, we support everything that's going on. No, we don't support that. And I love how you said it, Dan. There could have been other ways, and there are public access stations. Northampton has one. I'm part of one in Holyoke. Springfield has one. There just could have been other ways, and the leadership and NEPM knows us, knows our public access. And, and can you tell us a little bit about the program that was cut and eliminated a little bit? I, they always get kind of... Uh, not discussed Connect, in these stories. Connecting Point was a weekly program hosted by Zaydalis Bauer, Zaydalis Sayas Bauer, the first Latina to host a weekend informational program in Western Massachusetts. That was a big deal. So she'd interview anybody, everybody. It was a talk show. That's that's who we lost. And I, to me, why didn't they bring bring her over to the radio side i mean it, look i can't get into the weeds because i'm not part of that the weeds but i am certainly part of the weeds of dignity the bottom line the foundation of how people treat one another especially especially when they're going to lose their jobs their income and they had plans you know they got to pay the rent they got to buy food you know it's just don't treat them like they don't matter Treat them like they matter so much that it's just like your your own heart is breaking doing this. And that is not what happened. That is not what happened. That is not all. what happened, and that's a great place to leave it. Natalia Munoz, thank you so much for joining us today and for all the work that you do for our community every day. We'll be right back. Lampa 
This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The driver of a car that crashed into a home in Chicopee, killing his younger brother and seriously injuring a man inside the house, was arraigned yesterday on charges including manslaughter. According to the DA's office, on March 25th, police attempted to pull Stefan Bachman over for speeding on Broadway Street. Bachman allegedly drove away, crashing into a house on Montgomery Street. Bachman's younger brother, 13-year-old Devont Bird, was in the car at the time and died after the vehicle burst into flames following the crash. Bachman was held on $50,000 bail and is due back in court on May 19th. He's being held for at least 90 days due to an open firearms case. The Latino Advisory Board at New England Public Media is resigning en masse. In a letter to NEPM's Board of Directors, Natalia Munoz and other advisory board members say the board continues to marginalize and devalue Latino, black, and other people normally excluded from representation. This comes after recent layoffs of nearly 20% of staff that its members say disproportionately affected people of color. 17 full and part-time employees, including the entire team of Connecting Point, were let go, according to WBUR. The advisory board is calling on the board of directors to reinstate the show and diversify the NEPM board. Volunteers will be out at Nashawanic Pond in East Hampton tomorrow for the Green for Us initiative. Members of the East Hampton High School's National Honor Society will be picking up trash, and members of Nashawanic Pond Steering Committee will be applying a preventative treatment in a number of coves around the pond to combat the occurrence of algae blooms. Nice day to finish the work week, but clouds will begin the weekend. Partly to mostly sunny today, the high in the low 70s. Clouds gradually increase tonight, an overnight low of 42 to 48. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, but also mostly dry. Just a chance for a scattered sprinkle, a high of 62 to 66. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5, 1400, and 1240. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. In the morning, you look through a microscope at things you collected the day before. You're at summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. There are theme weeks like Broadway, fairy houses, flag football, studio arts, STEM challenges, and science exploration. There's basketball week, wizarding week, dance camp, and digital storytelling. Bement Summer Camp, themed weeks all summer. Or good old-fashioned day camp weeks with no theme at all, just swimming, games, and arts and crafts. Plus, outdoor adventure camps with our partner Adventure East, in case you like paddling canoes or climbing rocks. Summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. It's all on the Bement website. Bement is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. We learn from each other in the classroom, cheer for each other on the field, and celebrate each other on the stage. And we don't stop in the summer. Sign up for summer camp at bement.org. Looking for a fun and competitive day out with friends or the office team? The Junior Achievement Annual Golf Tournament is on Friday, June 9th at Crump and Fox in Bernardston. The day will include many contests, giveaways, food, and more. Junior Achievement of Western Massachusetts helps prepare young people for real-world career and financial success through in-school and after-school programs focused on financial literacy, career exploration, and entrepreneurship. To register, visit jawm.org. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome back to our show. Speaking of welcome back, Northampton and uh, this region has been missing it. Not since 2019 have we had pride back in our streets, both as a celebration of people's choices, lifestyles, and uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, but also entertaining for anybody who happens to ever have seen a Pride event. Well, in two weeks from tomorrow, I think, we're going to uh, see Pride make a comeback. And with us to talk about it is Hampshire Pride director, Clay Pearson. Hello, Clay. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's going great. Um, I'm obviously, you know, running around like a crazy person trying to get uh, my my uh, team together and get this event going on the road. Uh, we've got a, a parade that's going to start at 11 a.m. on May 6th, and it's going to go the opposite direction that it typically has gone. So it's going to go into town, and we're bringing Northampton Pride into town as Hampshire Pride. So we've rebranded. Where does it Hampshire. start? It starts at Sheldon Field. So it's a, a set of softball fields uh, pretty close to the, the 91 exit um, on Route 9. Um, and then we're going to march into town and we're going to go behind um, Thorns Marketplace into the Armory Street parking lot. And there we've got a stage with live entertainment. We've got drag queens, we've got DJs, we've got motivational speakers, we've got bands. It's going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be vendors there to, you know, show you their wares, as well as nonprofits, you know, giving out great information about the LGBTQ community. So tell us about Hampshire Pride. Who is Hampshire Pride? So Hampshire Pride um, was just went live on March 1st, actually. Um, Basically, the prior uh, Pride existence kind of dissolved in January, and I said, this needs to happen. This is something that is core to the Northampton community. So we rebranded into Hampshire Pride to be a little bit more inclusive of some of the other uh, towns in, in our county. And, um, you know, we got together with uh, local businesses to get the vendors going together, local um, nonprofits to get, you know, flyering out and all that type of stuff. And we're, you know, looking for sponsors and all that jazz, trying to make sure that we can put together a pride for Northampton City. And we're naming it Hampshire Pride. And before we go on, how do people get in touch with you, find out about it, pursue sponsorship? Yeah, for sure. You can definitely reach out to us via email, and we are hampshirepride at gmail.com. That's all one word, Hampshire Pride. Is there still time for people who want to, obviously you can come in March, but people who want to have either a float or a car or something like that, is that still available or no? Yeah, so we're going to be closing the signups on April 30th at midnight, basically. Um, so uh, for the for the parade. And so if you want to get in there, um, just so you know, uh, there's a sliding scale to enter the parade. And that's uh, 45 to $500, depending on, you know, how big your organization is. And we're talking about getting into the parade. We're not talking about people who just want to march. We're talking about uh, organizations. We're talking about ha- organizations. You're going to have a car or a float or a bus yeah. or saw, uh, big banners uh, on, on a moving vehicle of some sort. But that's what we're talking about. Yeah, also the marchers, because we need to be controlled with who's marching in our um, parade because we've got to, you know, shut down the streets accordingly. So you, nobody should just, you know, run into the street and join. Uh, you, you'll know if you should be in the street. Okay, so the or- <laughs> but organizations, organizations can sign up still? Definitely, until um, April 30th. Do you have any idea how, I mean, how big this will be this year? 
I would love to know. Everybody, you know, talks about how big prides have been in Northampton before, and it seemed like they just kind of picked a number and added 5,000 to the the year prior. So um, I don't know that there was a lot of great statistics. Sorry, I'm an engineer, so, like, I, I doubt these statistics. But um, it could be huge, um, you know, because everybody's just got this pent-up demand. Um, so I'm hoping for the best. And it's HampshirePride at gmail.com. Correct. I. You said a few moments ago that um, this has to happen. The community needs it. Can we talk about why does it have to happen? Why does the community need it? The representation. I mean, I know that we're in such a, a queer existence with um, Northampton being, you know, kind of the lesbian capital of the world and once upon a time in the Inquirer and all that that um, history. But um, it's interesting as places do get safer, um, people forget that you need to have a safe space available and a space to just celebrate diversity and interesting um, characteristics of your community. And so we've really just tried to make sure that our our coordinators and um, myself in, in this uh, pride committee is as diverse as we can. So we're trying to get every one of those letters out of the alphabet ma- mafia, you know, LGBTQ, um, and make sure that we can really showcase what this community has and um, can exemplify. I would think that this year in particular, it's important for people to stand up and stand out and say what's going on in, in many communities in terms of the hatred being displayed for LGBTQ community. We need to say, not here, not ever again. And I remember that I remember the first march when people marched with bags over their heads so they couldn't be identified, so they wouldn't be fired from their jobs. I mean, standing up, it's a celebration, but it's also a protest, and I think it's really important. Yeah, you really need to get your voices out there um, and just showcase that, you know, the LGBTQ community does exist. So um, here we are, and we're showing our faces, and we are showing our pride in our um you know, existence. And, you know, there have been a lot of anti-LGBTQ and anti-trans and anti-drag queen legislations across the, you know, the the states. And I'm happy that I am unaffected by them, but I'm also very saddened because I know uh, drag queens that are from the Tennessee area and that's their livelihood. That's their job. Um, And, you know, legislating their job out of existence is really, really unfortunate. Yeah. I don't mean to disagree with something you just said, but I kind of do. I think you're being uh, uh, really, uh, uh, in a way, n- not not uh, uh, completely, well, how do, let me put it this way. I think what happens in other states does affect all members of the community. I think what happens in Tennessee does affect the community here. And I think by saying, well, not in Massachusetts, so it doesn't affect me, actually is... Well, I, I appreciate your saying it, but I'm not sure it's totally true. Well, especially when our Congress, our House of Representatives, just passed 219 to 203, this anti-trans, this transphobic. So I don't definitely. mean to be. I don't mean to. I, be. I totally understand your sentiment. I'm saying that personally, um, I have been able to continue doing drag, and I literally did drag yesterday. So you might see a little bit of extra makeup on my face today, still. Um, so at, while I think it is unfortunate for those that are in these states that have you know, negative um, legislation being processed against them, as well as things that are just focused on drag queens that are ending up ruining the lives of trans people. Because if you're somebody that's trans and you're wearing makeup, and if you even sing a song, you can get arrested for being a, a drag performer if a child sees you. It's unfortunate. And 
uh, it may not be affecting us directly, but indirectly it is because knowing that the tide of you know, these terrible legislations are coming towards us. I think that is something that we need to make sure that we're not going to allow in this community. And that's why we need pride here. Let's go Hampshire Pride, uh, Director Clay Pearson, just a little bit deeper in that. Uh, It is so important for all the reasons that you just stated and that Bill reminded us of that we do have pride parade, but why did they be, when did they become so much fun? It's so entertaining. (laughs) You guys just make it the best parade ever how yeah. that happen i mean the thing is our community it's it's a really great community and you know with drag queens you know things get very flashy very quick and um you know you can't not have fun when somebody's singing and dancing and twirling and you know bopping around um and it's just it's something it's indescribable and i was really really upset you know last year when i found out that pride wasn't happening and that's what really you know, lit the fire under my butt to get get this pride off the off the ground. Well, it hasn't happened since uh, 2019. Yeah. Uh, we all long for it to come back. It's going to come back May 6, 2023. It's going to begin at 11 o'clock. Tell us one more time how people can get in touch with you, what the deadlines are, and where it's going to start. That's really important. Yes, definitely. So um, you can get in touch with us at hampshirepride at gmail.com. And we can um, set you up with um, links to get to our application for our um, parade. Um, and the parade will start at 11 a.m. at Shelton Field, um, which is on Old Ferry Street, or Old Ferry Road, I believe. Um, and it'll head down Route 9 into town, and then it'll end at uh, the Armory Street lot in um, behind uh, Thorns Marketplace. Well, it's something we can all look forward Pride is back and yes. if you would, uh, Drew Pearson, come back and just make another short reminder just before May 6th. Definitely. So we... I think we've got something on the, on the books for the 5th. Oh, that's great. All right. I'll Drew see Pearson, you then. thank you. Thank you. We're all looking forward to it. We will be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. One word, $1,000. The easiest contest starts Monday at 8 on 1015 and 1240 WHMP. Hello, this is Dr. Ruth Poti. In my practice, I see an average of six people a day with a heroin addiction. They all tell me the same thing. They started out abusing pills. And 70% of the time, they got them from family or friends. Sometimes they were given them, and sometimes they stole them. We have to keep prescription drugs out of the wrong hands. If you're not actively using a medicine, get rid of it. Don't save it for a rainy day. Let's get these drugs out of circulation. This Saturday is Drug Take Back Day. It's happening across the country and locally at over a dozen locations in Western Mass. Drop off prescription drugs. No questions asked. Don't flush them. Don't toss them in the trash. Bring them to one of the drop-off locations. Prescription drugs lingering in medicine cabinets leads to heroin use. It's a simple fact. So please, if there are meds hanging around in your house, get rid of them safely this Saturday from 10 to 2. Find a drop-off location near you at the Northwestern District Attorney website. Stone by stone, you'll build that Goshen stone patio. You'll have it done by 4th of July. That was the plan. 
last summer, or was it the summer before? You started, but where do the weekends go? Call Beyond Landscape, the Take Back Your Weekend people. They'll build that patio and the pond and the new garden. Take back your weekend. Call Beyond Landscape. Make a plan. Budget it over a few years. You have so many ideas. Beyond Landscape makes them happen. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 101.5, 1400-WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome back to the show. Uh, this is a really important segment because we're talking about the viability of our planet and our the devastation that's being uh, uh, committed upon our environment and, and the consequences on our community. With us to talk about that is the author of The Green Amendment, um, it is the people's fight for a clean and healthy environment, and she is also the founder of something called the Green Amendment Movement. So her name is Maya Von Rossum, and I welcome you to the show, Maya. Thanks for having me. So what are Green Amendments? So a Green Amendment is a provision that gets added to the Bill of Rights section of our state constitutions, and ultimately I hope to get one in the federal constitution, that recognizes the right of all people to clean water and clean air, a stable climate and healthy environments. And with this Bill of Rights placement, as well as the language that's carefully chosen to recognize these rights, it literally lifts up the rights to a clean, safe and healthy environment. So they are given the same highest constitutional standing recognition and protection as all those other fundamental rights we hold dear. Things like the right to free speech and freedom of religion, for example. And when you landed on this notion, um, who did you try to pitch it to, to amend state constitutions and the federal constitution? Who are you pitching this to? So it's, it's really to the, to the, people of, of the United States of America, um, because ultimately the Constitution is a document that belongs to the people. And so ultimately in every state, um, a constitutional amendment has to be decided upon by the people. But at the same time, we have to um, convince state legislators to also get on board with this powerful pathway for protection, because in many, if not most states, the way a constitutional amendment advances is that the legislature has to put forth the language and vote on it either once or twice before it goes to the people for a vote. So it's really very literally talking to everybody because everybody is a part of this process of amending our constitution, except the governors of the states. The governors generally don't have a, don't have a role in the process. So what states have you uh, had successes with? So green amendments currently exist in Pennsylvania, Montana, and just um, at, at, by a vote of the people in November of 2021, um, one was passed in the state of New York. Pennsylvania and Montana have had them for a while now, but Pennsylvania's Montana only got legal life by the work of myself and my organization when I'm wearing my Delaware Riverkeeper hat. And it was this amazing victory we had in Pennsylvania in 2013 
that landed me on this idea that we needed this kind of highest constitutional protection for environmental rights nationwide. And so I sort of embarked on this journey of writing the book and spreading the message. But now, while we just got one passed in New York, we do actually also have Green Amendment proposals that have been put forth and are advancing in 15 other states, literally from coast to coast of all political persuasions and cultures. It's a very diverse set of states that are getting on board because, of course, we all need a clean, safe and healthy environment for, you know, healthy lives and healthy economies. Uh, Maya, uh, I think that I read that in Montana, uh, a Montana court actually used a green amendment in order to stop a gas power plant because of its environmental uh, degradation. Is that right? Yeah, the green amendments in Pennsylvania, Montana, and now also in New York have been used in a variety of really helpful ways to protect the environment and the environmental rights of people, but also to ensure that when our government officials are engaged in decisions that could have serious consequences for the environment, that they really are being very mindful of what the environmental implications might be. And so green amendments sort of have two values. One, there is this substantive value of ensuring that people do have clean water and clean air, you know, in healthy environments. But another piece of it is procedural and making sure that our government officials are considering the environmental rights implications of their decisions before they make them. And as a result, we end up with, with much better, more protective environmental decision-making, and we can actually avoid the litigation down the line. Is the litigation part of it significant? And I raise that question because of the arguments that were made against the federal Equal Rights Amendment back when, and I won't go through the history at this point, but the argument was, well, this is just going to lead to a lot of litigation. Um, and it's, so it's not as simple as simply saying equal rights are for women. Um, on the other hand, you have a very successful campaign in Massachusetts recently, which was the Fair Share Amendment, Amendment to the Constitution. I'm wondering which model and which arguments you think are most persuasive. Yeah, so that is, that is an argument we hear against um, constitutional green amendments, and it's really a false argument. It's a, it's a, it's a scare tactic by the opposition um, for two reasons. Number one, when we actually look at, at the three Green Amendment states um, and at the number of cases that are brought forth and actually make it into the courts, it's three to ten cases a year on average. That's it that make it into the courts. There are cases that are brought at the lower administrative level, but they get handled at that lower administrative level. And the truth is, all of the cases that are pursued would have been brought on other grounds anyway. It's just that the constitutional entitlement gets added as a claim or brought in to help inform how the laws are interpreted. And every legal case that has been brought has been about a serious issue of significant concern when it comes to the environment. We don't see frivolous claims like people suggest. Where is this in Massachusetts today? Uh, there has not been a Green Amendment proposal in Massachusetts yet. I've been asked to come to the state a couple of times to share information about this concept, but I only um, work with a state, right, and sort of work to advance it in a state when people from that state say the time is right for us to pursue this here now. So please, Maya, 
bring in your green amendments message and let's work together to make it happen. But nobody, nobody stepped up asking for that assistance in Massachusetts as of yet. This is sort of a circuitous way to ask my question, but my friend of greatest duration since I was three and a half, 70 plus years or something, we, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy owned a piece of property with a little cabin on it in upstate Pennsylvania. And he now is paid $16,000 a year because the frackers came in and are fracking on his land. He hates fracking. He gives the money to his kids, but he gets that $16,000. I've learned throughout Northern Pennsylvania is all this fracking that's going on, but you're talking about a green amendment. What could you connect that process with the Green Amendment and tell us how a Green Amendment would stop that process? Yeah, so it's a really important question. Many people say, how can you have a Green Amendment in Pennsylvania? And how great can it be, Maya, if you have fracking wreaking so much havoc? Um, the fact of the matter is that while the Pennsylvania Green Amendment was added to the state constitution, actually in 1971, it was robbed of all its legal power very early on and only actually got legal life in 2013 by this powerful legal victory I and my organization had, actually against a very pro-fracking law, which helped slow things down. Um, but the truth is the frackers got there before the Pennsylvania Green Amendment had legal life. And so now it is being worked, um, being utilized to, to ensure that fracking doesn't have the most devastating of consequences. But the frackers were there first, um, and as a result, the Green Amendment is, 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 you know, has a different path when it comes to that industry. Finally, in just the less than a minute that we have left, uh, Maya, can you tell people how to get in touch with you if they want to explore Green Amendments for their state or some other state? So the website is www.forthegenerations, F-O-R, forthegenerations.org. You can learn about the national movement, get resources, and learn which states are pursuing a Green Amendment, what's happening there, and how you can get involved if you're in one of those states. And if you're not in one of those states, for example, if you're in Massachusetts and you want to be the, the leader and the champion in your state to start it up, then there's a way to get in touch with me via ForTheGenerations.org, the website. ForTheGenerations.org. Maya Van Rossum, thank you so much for being with us today and for all you're doing to protect our children's future and ours. Thank you for joining us on Talk to Talk. Remember, we all have to walk the walk. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion WHMP animals. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's a